If by chance you're visiting or you don't have your Bible with you, please turn to page 36. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you and our scripture reading will be on page 36. It's from Exodus chapter 32, verses one through six. Again, Exodus chapter 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we did not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Good morning. God is good, amen. There's a bunch of people traveling this weekend and we just want to say and stop and say thank you for choosing to be with us this morning to worship our God together. It's just such an honor and a privilege to always be here, but I'm also thankful for each and every opportunity that I have to speak. And so thank you to the elders uh, for giving me this opportunity this morning. When Maxine Clark was a little girl, her and her friend were, were going to the store. It was, she had some extra money she wanted to spend and so she wanted to find a new teddy bear. She had many that she had at home, but they just, something about them wasn't exactly right. And so they go up and down the, the aisles of the store that day, and finally Maxine just turns to her friend and says, I give up. I can't find one. There is not a teddy bear in the store that, that I like. And her friend looked at her and said, you know, these look pretty easy. Why don't we just make one ourselves?" And so Maxine took that simple idea and in 1997, she opened Build-A-Bear Workshop that has over 400 stores nationwide and worldwide. Think about how genius that simple idea is just for a second. There are thousands upon thousands of kids who have dozens upon dozens of teddy bears. Why? Because the one previously, it wasn't exactly what they wanted. And so she said, why don't we do this? Why don't we build a store to where kids can come in, they can fix it exactly how they want it, and they'll never be disappointed in it because they built it. And that's exactly what she did. I'm not going to go through the entire list, but just listen to the stations that are involved at this Build-A-Bear workshop. You've got the Choose Me station, where there are over 30 varieties of stuffed animals, including teddy bears, bunnies, dogs, kitties, and more. And my eight-year-old self took the frog as the option. It's the Hear Me Station, check this out, where guests may select from several sound choices to play inside their stuffed animal. At the Stuff Me Station, they get to choose exactly how big their teddy, teddy bear will be. At the Stitch Me Station, it's stitched up for the, the last time. At the Fluff Me Station, the guest brushes the stuffed animal to make sure his or her new friend is well-groomed. At the Dress Me Station, they pick from 
hundreds of outfits that they can choose. They get to name them. They have a birth certificate. And then there is the take me home station. Each furry friend is customized with a birth certificate and a barcode. So if it's ever lost, it can return home to its owner. The simple idea of if you don't like what's there, if you don't like what you have, just build your own or make your own. And I've got to be honest with you this morning, I think that this idea has, has translated from something that people build bears with that has infiltrated the way that we see God sometimes. It's not uncommon for us to see this today. It wasn't even uncommon for the people in, in the times of the Bible. In fact, we go to Exodus chapter 32, our reading there. Let's pick up where the reading left off. In verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation in you. We stop and think this morning about the idea that sometimes we make something else God. How does that happen? What does that look like? How do we make something else become our God? It happens like this, when the peace and the comfort and the trust and the confidence that we should find in God, when that is replaced with something else, that thing becomes our God. There's a book out by Kyle Eidelman entitled God's at War. And listen to a few things he says. He says, the problem is that the instant something takes the place of God, the moment it becomes an end in itself, rather than something to lay at God's throne, it becomes an idol. When someone or something replaces the Lord God in the position of glory in our lives, then that person or thing, by definition, has become our God. Instead of looking to God for comfort, we turn to food or mindless entertainment. Instead of looking to God for significance, we turn to careers and our accomplishments. Instead of looking to God for security, we turn to our monies and investments. Instead of looking to God for joy, we look to our spouse and to our children. Instead of looking to God for hope, we turn to politicians and legislation. Instead of looking to God for truth, we turn to popular opinion and academic consensus. Ottoman's entire book is based off of this idea and this theme, that idolatry is not an issue. It is the issue. And every problem that we may face in our lives or, or in the lives of other people that we see spiritually, emotionally, physically, it boils back down to idolatry is the issue. And we think about Jeremiah chapter 2, verses, verses 3 and then, and then 6 through 10, where Jeremiah says there, or God says, these people have committed two evils against me. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of the living waters. And number two, they have hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns 
that hold no water? What broken cisterns do you have in your life this morning? What things are you trying to, to replace the trust that God gives us? What, with what things are you trying to replace the truth that God gives us? With what things are you trying to replace the hope that God gives us? And you see, it, it, it isn't exactly that all of these things that I mentioned are bad. They're not. God can use them for his glory and for our benefit. But it's when we let these things take place of God, when we replace the fountain of the living water with our broken cisterns, that's where idolatry becomes the issue. Sometimes we make something else God. And as I began to study for this lesson and as I began to try to, to wrap my mind around this passage, I couldn't help but to think about another direction. Sometimes we don't just make something else God. Sometimes we make God something else. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, For the time is coming when people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but with itching ears, listen to this, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit what? Who suit their own passions. The religious world today and many, many, many people quite simply are making God something else. They look at his word and they look at God's nature and they say, well, surely, surely a loving God wouldn't have this. Sure, surely a loving God wouldn't do that. And so they change it. When it comes to salvation, well, it can't be that important. You mean God would tell me that, that this is that important? There's no way. And so they change it. When it comes to worship, well, God wouldn't really care about that. As long as, as, long as we do this part, this part probably, God, God will let it slide. And so they change it. Sometimes we make God something else. What I find interesting here is, is in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, the first of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And when we look at that word before, we think to ourselves, well, that's probably like chronological. You know, if, if, if we have other things in our lives, as long as we put God first, then we, we can put everything else behind. But the Hebrew word here is not about chronology. It should be tr better translated or better understood as you shall have no other gods in my presence. You see, brothers and sisters, God doesn't just want to be first in your life. I think to Luke chapter four and verse three, where Jesus is being tempted by Satan and Satan says, hey, if you'll just bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. But Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. God doesn't just want to be first in your life this morning. God wants to be your life. And so I ask you as we transition, are you worshiping the God you created? Or this morning, can you honestly say, I'm worshiping the God who created me? Because that makes all of the difference in the world. And then we pick up the narrative in verse 15. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 15. These people, Moses comes down, they've made a golden calf and, and he 
And God is very upset. He's very angry. And listen to what happens. This is the outcome. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writings was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And so then we, we continue on and, and he calls out the Levites and he says, hey, whose side are you on? And so the Levites come out in verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of the enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. The people were punished for what they did. But that isn't the only time they're punished. Let's skip down to verse 33. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit you, I will visit their sin upon you. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. The Bible is very clear from the very beginning to the very end that sin must go punished. We think of verses like Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is what? It's, it's death. Then we think Psalm chapter 145 and verse 10. The Lord will preserve those who love him. But what about those who do wicked? He will destroy them. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. Romans chapter 6. six through, Romans chapter 2 verses 6 through 10. And he will render each one according to his works. Verse 7 says, to the one who seeks glory and the one who seeks honor and the one who seeks immorality, immortality rather, he will give everlasting life. What happens to those on the contrary? To those who are self-seeking, those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and there will be fury. Verse 9 says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. James chapter one and verse 15, when sin has fully grown, what? It brings forth death. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse two, what has separated us between God? Our iniquities have separated us between our God. Our sin is a big deal. Our sin will go punished. It always has been, it always will be. Our sin is a big deal. Why? because it separates us from God. It doesn't matter if we have a little bit of sin in our life. It doesn't matter if we have sin that, that maybe you can't even understand because there's so much, you, you don't know how God could forgive it. From the little to the great, our sin is a big deal because it separates us from God. All sin 
will go punished. But here's what I find so interesting about this narrative in Exodus chapter 32. That punishment doesn't just come. The sin happens and we fast forwarded to the punishment, but check out what happens. Verse 11, Exodus 32 and verse 11. So in verse 10, God says to Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses, verse 11, implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people, but they were still punished. Moses tried to make intercession. Moses tried to redeem them, but they were still punished for their sin. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that I have written. And then we get that phrase, but the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. The people sin, the people are punished. But Moses attempted to make intercession. Moses attempted to redeem the people from the disaster that was going to come upon them. Attempt number one failed and attempt number two failed equally. When we think about the concept of redemption, I think of Ephesians chapter one. In whom we have Redemption through his blood. Speaking of whom? Speaking of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. For he has transferred us, verse 13, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I think about the the concept of intercession and I'm, I'm drawn to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Where God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through Jesus. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. Who is them? It's those who were afar off but came near to God through Jesus. That's us. That's me. That's you. Jesus always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. And then Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. It was Christ Jesus who died, but more importantly, was raised. Where is he at? He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. In Hebrews, we read how how Jesus was greater than Moses. And, And there it's talking about some different things, but I think this could go there as well. That the redemption and the intercession that Moses attempted to make for the people of Israel, Jesus's was better. Jesus redeemed us through the blood 
that he shed on the cross. He intercedes for us every single day because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And when we draw near to him through Jesus, he offers it to us too. And as we draw this to an end this morning, we think about the sin that is ours. We think about the punishment that is deserved. But then we think about the redemption and the intercession that is offered. I started off by saying this morning that God is good. But this morning, I want to really iterate this this aspect that God is not just good. God is not just good. God is good enough. God is good enough for our past. God is good enough for our present. God is good enough for our future. God is good enough for our failures. God is good enough for our fears. He's good enough for our temptations. He's good enough to save us. God has always been good enough. He is good enough and he will always be good enough. Brothers and sisters, there is no need in trying to change God. There is no need in trying to make God something else because he's good enough. There's no need in trying to change God because he doesn't need changed. But this morning, maybe you look at your life and you say, it's me that needs changed. I've got sin in my life and I know that punishment is coming. I need that redemption. I need that intercession. How does it happen? It happens through the blood of Jesus. How do we contact that blood? We contact it through the watery graves of baptism. This morning, are you worshiping the God that you created or are you worshiping the God that created you? Because so many people today, the God that we create, we may think that it's bringing us happiness. We may think that it's bringing us joy, but it's just a broken cistern. It can hold no water. But if we will endure, if we will endure the sound teaching that that we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, if we will fight the good fight, if we will serve the God who created us, he doesn't always tell us that this life is going to be happy. He doesn't always tell us that this life is going to be easy. But what he does tell us and assure us through his word is that it will be worth it. Why? Because we're not serving a broken cistern. We're serving the fountain of the living God. That invitation's open for me and it's open for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around it. Why me? Why us? And to be quite frank, we don't know. What we do know is that the love of God goes far above anything that we could ever comprehend or understand. And all he wants us to do is follow him. Follow him and and he will take care of the rest. The things of your past he'll take care of. He'll guide your present and he'll lead you in the future. If only we draw near to God through Jesus. This morning, maybe it is in your life that you've been been trying to to change God. Maybe you look at your life and, and you've got some idols that you need to get rid of. You've got some some things in your life that that you have been putting too much trust, you've been putting too much hope, and you've you've been trying to hold on to these things way too hard and way too long. Will you come to Jesus this morning 
Will you become a child of his? Will you be restored to, to walk that walk again? Jesus is saying the invitation is open. Come home to me. If we could help you, please come as we stand and sing.